Good morning. <sighs> My mother tells me that when I was a very little girl, I was bold and a little tenacious. One story she likes to recount happened around the time I was four. We were moving, and the movers had arrived later than promised. Apparently, I had eavesdropped on some adult conversation that day, because when these large, muscular men arrived, I walked right up to them and said, you blew it, baby. <laughs> time moved on, moved on a little bit, and I grew. We lived in Fresno until I was seven, and I can remember hot summer days spent with my brother and the other neighborhood kids swimming in our above-ground pool and then throwing on our roller skates. You know, the kind with the metal wheels and the key? The kind where you hit a pebble and you went flying? Mm-hmm. We would zip up and down the sidewalks in our bathing suits on those skates, unconcerned for our own safety or the glorious spectacle that we created. We moved again to Salinas when I was in the second grade. Moving can be hard on kids, especially in the middle of the school year. Still, I was excited for our move. We were moving into our first two-storage house, which is what I called it. And um, I got to choose the first, I got first choice of bedrooms that year time. So, um, and I was excited to make new friends too. At, um, the house was amazing. I got to uh, pick a corner bedroom upstairs that had a view of the neighborhood and oak trees in the distance. I made a new friend with a girl who lived across the street, and I was looking forward to my new school. But that mid-year transition can be hard, and I was a little bit lost. I was a struggling learner, and I did not know where I fit in with my new classmates. As the years went by, my academics did improve, and I grew. I grew quickly, and I was soon the tallest kid in the class. I wore homemade clothing, or clothing from Sears. My classmates wore designer jeans and shoes. I had this unruly mop of curly hair in a time when stick straight hair was the style. I found myself at the butt end of other kids' jokes and I became shy and withdrawn. I became self-conscious and aware of the differences between myself and the other students. My changing body made me awkward and less physically adept. I found solace in books and in food and no longer found joy in things like running, swimming, or the games where I was always chosen last. I did still love roller skating, but in a bathing suit? No way. <laughs> Gone was the free-spirited, uninhibited child. I had begun to see myself through the lens of my peers. But worst of all, I had turned that same lens on other kids to measure their worthiness. I rejected friendships from kids that I felt could not improve my station with the other students. I laughed at jokes that singled out some other child, ripped, sorry, relieved to deflect the microscope off of me. I pointed out other kids' failings in order to elevate myself. I was unkind in the same way I had experienced unkindness from others. 
In the Gospel of Luke today, we hear about the Pharisee and the tax collector, both praying at the temple. The Pharisee prays with himself and extols his virtues to God. He puts on a public show, but he does give thanks to God, but then only to say, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, adulterers, thieves, rogues, or even like this tax collector. The tax collector, on the other hand, cannot even bring himself to look to heaven. He beats his chest, pronounces himself a sinner, and begs God for his mercy. Luke tells us, this man went home justified rather than the other, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. When Pastor Ben asked me to preach today, I was pretty terrified. Might be a little bit still. <laughs> um, I just joined the church council, and I was feeling pretty good about being a part of that guiding body. So apparently, um, my natural inclination to talk too much unknowingly drew attention to myself, leading Ben to make his request. So my first thought was, I can't do that. I don't know what I'm doing. My second thought was, there are other better Christians than me who really deserve to be leading the congregation. And finally, I don't know enough about the Bible to be any sort of authority. But I was honored to be asked, and I have a hard time saying no. And Ben promised he would guide me through the process. And so we met several times over the past several weeks. At first reading, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is simple. Don't exalt yourself. Don't put others down to make yourself look better. Ask God for mercy. We already know, going into the reading, that Pharisees are the biblical bad guys. And uh, so, you know, I looked up Google, and their definition is a sanctimonious, self-righteous, or hypocritical person. So, you see, we have been set up by our prior knowledge, and even by Luke, as we too offer our judgment of the Pharisee. This parable's a trap. We find ourselves judging the Pharisee for judging others. Then we end up judging ourselves for judging the Pharisee for judging others. <laughs> judgment is always a trap. Whether we are standing in judgment of others or even ourselves, so in my own life, to get out of this trap of judgment, I needed to see a life without judgment. What a life without judgment looked like. When I was 17, I finished high school, and I moved 400 miles away from home to attend Humboldt State University on the beautiful Northern California coast. You may have heard of it, and your perception may be of a culture of hippies and other free spirits. <laughs> see? <laughs> While that perception may be partially true, what I found when I arrived at Humboldt was a culture of acceptance, a culture that didn't care what clothes I wore, a culture that didn't care what size I was, a culture that let me be me without reservation or judgment. Humboldt was a glorious mix of nonconformity, a place of prints and plaids, Birkenstock and bare feet, updos and dreadlocks. 
occasionally mixed together. Humboldt was a community that lived life fully without concern for appearance. One time, early in my first year of college, I attended a beach bonfire party. At the end of the gathering, I was one of the few sober individuals in attendance. So I was elected to drive a, a doormate's car home back six miles back to the university. I knew how to drive an automatic transmission. <laughs> yep, this car was a stick shift. My new friends had no concern for my driving ability. My sobriety had earned me top driving marks in their esteem. So we lurched and grinded and laughed all the way back as my driving team offered instruction on clutching and shifting. I failed over and over as the engine died over and over and my new friends cheered me on over and over. I count them as dear friends even now, 40 years later. In Humboldt, I had found a second home and family that allowed me to grow and become someone better than I had been. So after five years with my degree and my teaching credential in hand, I returned to the Salinas Valley and started my first job. And not long after that, I met my husband, Rick, and we were married. His love for me came without reservation or limit. And I know this will sound a little bit corny, but when we were married, our first dance song was Billy Joel's Just the Way You Are. Um, oh, good. <laughs> you know it too. And so for 32 years, whenever I'm feeling down on myself or less confident about myself, Rick makes a point to remind me of those lyrics. I love you just the way you are. So there's another phrase in that song that goes like this. But what will it take till you believe in me the way that I believe in you? God's love is like that. His love has always been there. And all he asks for is our love in return. That is what God, the good news in Jesus is. God loves unconditionally. When we know we are loved, we are set free from the need to judge. In the reading from Joel, God's people were in exile, wondering if they were loved. God pours out blessings on them so they might never doubt God's love. And God finishes those promises by saying, My people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, your God, am your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Israel is still going to have hard times. There is no shame in those hard times, because their worth comes from God's love that is always with them. Living in love and not passing judgment on others or ourselves is a continual process. I'm constantly reminding my own children to live their lives with intentionality. It's a good reminder for myself as well. 
It's easy to notice other people's differences, to pass judgment on them, but I try to turn it around and be more intentional, to notice the positives and be more loving because only love can set us free from our shame, not our perfection. And we're going to mess it up. Israel's going to mess it up. But we are set free from the trap of judgment by returning to that promise of love. So in adulthood and in the safety of love, I've been set free to do the things I enjoy without reservation. I've also been set free to think differently about other people, to notice and appreciate their differences and try to love like Jesus. We're tempted to use other people as a barometer of our worthiness to God. But there's good news in the forecast that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As Joel says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. God's love is for everyone, young or old, dreadlocked or combed, stick shift proficient or not. May we see God's spirit rain down on all flesh, starting with our own. Amen.